Afternoons on SEN. Ah, yes, indeed. A very good afternoon to you and welcome to Afternoons on SEN. Sam Hargraves with you. Wonderful to have you on board, however you're finding us, wherever you're finding us. I hope your Monday is going as well as it possibly can be, however you're putting it in, wherever you're putting it in. Thanks for putting in some time having a chat to me. one 736 736 the Werribee Kia open line number. Is that for Werribee Kia awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year, Werribee Kia, where else? And the look, the music, the intro may have changed. It is afternoons now, officially from this Monday. It is all the summer shows and fill-ins and replacements. But just because the music's changed, just because the title of the show has changed, the Dwayne Russell promise has not changed because it will be his everlasting legacy. As long as the doors and the lights are open, uh, doors are open and lights are on at SEN. Midday Madness for Work Locker, Caram Downs and Packenham. Workwear forever you work. The Midday Madness promise will live on. You call, you get on. Whatever you want to speak about in the world of sport, one 736 736 You can text in on the 40 Winks Temper text, 0433-981116. The all-new Temper Pro, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever, is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. We're going to get into some heroes and villains in just a moment. But just to set the scene on what is on the menu today, Brad Sunderason is going to join us after 1 o'clock. So heaps to speak about in the world of cricket. The debacle that happened down at GMHBA Stadium last night. Should they even have played? How did the pitch get as wet as it did? Yes, don't text in saying rain. I'm aware that the rain fell, the pitch got wet, but gee, surely we could have seen that coming uh, and, and maybe um, prevented it from getting so wet. Or it could just be one of those freak things that despite best efforts, despite those grounds, people doing everything they could with the equipment that they had, it was just too much for what we now have as covers as rain conditions tend to be heavier and uh, and harder than they have been, as weather conditions change. So do we need to invest, as Simon O'Donnell was saying this morning, into better covers? Uh, that's a conversation that we can have as well. So Barrett Sunder Racing will preview the first test as well. Get his thoughts on Josh Hazelwood and the interview that he did with Ben Horn about uh, pretty much declaring, as Mitch Stark has done and Pat Cummins has done, that there is no rotation policy anymore, that those in line... To be test fast bowls, we'll just have to wait until these guys are done. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Have a chat to Barrett Sunder Aysen. Uh Ewan Porter, who is a former pro, Australian golf pro, uh, and now travels the world commentating, uh, has been commentating PGA, was here uh, walking the course for the uh, Australian PGA and the Australian Open. So much to talk about in the world of golf. Uh, John Rahm's deal to go to live um, at the top of the agenda for all things golf, but the golf ball rollback. Um, I was loving the tournament that I've just been watching over the last few days um, as well. Um, when we speak to Ewan, I'm really looking forward to getting his thoughts. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting his thoughts on the Grant Thornton Invitational. Uh, men's and women's players teamed up for three days of golf. It was a fantastic format, so we'll chat to him about that. Uh, Eliza Riley, the story that uh, she has broken today, reporting that Daisy Pearce, one of the greats of AFLW, one of the very best commentators in the game, uh, currently an assistant coach with Geelong, is set to be announced as the next coach of West Coast's AFLW program. And then Mitch Creek from the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix is a throwdown on Thursday. Uh, Mitch Creek uh, opening up to the struggles that he'd had last week and then the response this week. Uh, he dropped over 30 against the Kings yesterday. So really looking forward to having a chat to one of Australia's best basketballers. Of course, we've got prizes up for grabs. 
So your calls, your texts for Midday Madness. I thought we would start off, uh, as I like to start off on a Monday, with heroes and villains. Heroes and villains, who were the heroes of the weekend of sport? Who were the villains of the weekend in sport? Bit of fun uh, on your Monday. Always a lot to talk about and is one of the most basic concepts in sport. Heroes and villains, who you cheer for, who you boo, who did the heroic act, who the not-so-heroic act. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. What were you loving and what were you not quite loving? Heroes and villains for your Monday afternoon. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Where We Care open line. You can text in on the 40 Wings Temper Tech 0433 I'm going to give my first hero nomination uh, to the beautiful Evie for saying yes when I proposed to her on Friday. So big hero nomination to the beautiful Evie. I am the luckiest man in the world, and uh, thank you, uh, sweetheart. I appreciate you saying yes. So hero nomination for the beautiful Evie. We'd probably give a hero nomination. I won't bore you with all the details. I know that uh, I'll get a couple of congratulations and a couple of who gives an app. I could not give a fat fat rat's clacker uh, that you got engaged. So I'll leave it there. Should we give a hero nomination to all the kids who are getting their VCE results today, all the parents as well and teachers who got them through that year, who put up with them, I mean, supported them uh, through the last year. Well done to you all. Congratulations. If you didn't get the result you wanted, please know it's not the end of the world. It won't define you, your life or your worth. It might feel like it, but I promise it won't. Um, So if it didn't quite pan out the way you want, don't worry. It won't be the end of things and you will be okay. I promise you. And if it was what you wanted, congratulations. So hero nominations uh, for all those people as well. Right, to sport. Do we give a villain nomination to the GMHBA pitch? You can't do anything to change the weather. I suppose you can prepare for it. So maybe there's a little leg on the face of the team down there, but they would have done everything they could with what they had. So maybe there is a little bit of, gee, what, what, how did that all happen? Maybe you can point the finger to a point. But sometimes, despite your best efforts, things just go wrong. It happens. So maybe we should cut them some slack. I'm just not quite sure how the umpires passed it fit to play. I know we want to get games away, and I know there was a crowd there that wanted to see a game, but... Are we better off just to say, look, this is not going to go anywhere, uh, and and really we're risking the safety of players? Nick Maddinson was actually laughing about how the pitch was when at the toss they decided to bowl. I don't know if we've got the Nick Maddinson audio, but we'll get that in a minute. He was laughing about the pitch, and they were laughing as the balls were bowled in those sort of six-and-a-half overs before it was called off with just what it was doing and the erratic nature. I mean, it was sort of like taking one of those uh, wahoo balls down to the beach when there's sort of a bit of waves coming in and you skim them off the the waves just rolling in off the breakers and you sort of take classic slips catches in the water. Although this was a game of BBL, not a game of let's try and take slips catches at the beach. So the decision to actually start the game, I thought probably worthy of a hero, a, a villain nomination. But I reckon... The biggest villain nomination is going to go to whoever thought it was still a good idea to let off the fireworks after the game was called off. Why? What were we celebrating there? 
fireworks for New Year's Eve or it could be river fire up in Brisbane, these tend to be um, significant or these tend to be what we use to signify that something that we're celebrating. It could be Moomba. What were we celebrating last night with a game that was called off six and a, a 6.5, uh, six overs, five deliveries in to a game? What on earth were we overjoyed about that we felt we need to mark the occasion with fireworks? That was the, that, I couldn't understand why we were letting off fireworks after a game was called off. Uh, we will give a hero nomination, though, to, to whoever's idea it was to do the celebrity first ball. Now, yes, this is an American idea that happens in baseball where they get a celebrity to, f- to throw the uh, ceremonial first pitch, but I like it. Amy Shark, uh, I think Tim Minchin in Sydney, Joel Selwood, and there's people bagging the three um, bowlers um, to varying degrees for the varying levels of success they had with rolling the arm over. But I think that that's a villain nomination in and of itself because these aren't professional cricketers. And neither, none of them did any worse than Steve Harmison in the first ball of the Ashes in Brisbane back in the day. If you remember that delivery, that's the worst we've ever seen. So, yes, Johnny Howard might have been, been feeling a little better about himself. But I reckon Steve Harmison's probably feeling a little bit better about himself, but he has no claim to be because as a professional cricketer, that's still the worst delivery I've ever seen. So one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Uh, 0433981116, your heroes and your villains. Mother's in Geelong, very good friend of the show and very good friend of the station. G'day, Mars. Uh Yeah, Bryce McGain said the reason the fireworks were let off was to um, try to appease the crowd from throwing all the objects and rubbish onto the ground. Um, but he agreed with you, why are we having fireworks? And, um, um, you know, it, it's sad for the city of Geelong when they put on normally so good an exhibition. Um, you've had that much rain, you've got to feel sorry for the poor old curator also. Oh, 100%. I do feel sorry for the curator, Muzz. It's a good point. I do feel sorry for the people that went and didn't get a game of cricket last night, but the right decision was made to call it off because it wasn't safe, and it wasn't safe to start it, let alone to continue it. And so I do feel... But I don't know if there's one player, Muzz, one person that would have left last night going, well, we didn't get to see a game of cricket, but I did get to see some... Afternoons on SEN. On the West Coast Eagles official Twitter, Daisy for it in an, in an historic day for our club. Premiership captain and footy pioneer Daisy Pierce has been appointed our new senior coach. This is a huge appointment in AFLW and in football. Eliza Riley from Code Sports, who broke the story early today, is going to join us after two o'clock to chat about Daisy Pierce, one of the most influential driving forces in getting the AFLW established, one of the stars of the competition, a premiership captain as well, one of the best commentators and footy brains in the business, and currently an assistant coach with Geelong's men's program will be the next AFLW coach for the West Coast Eagles. Congratulations uh, to Daisy Pierce and, of course, a big part of the SEN family. Uh, Midday Madness Promise lives on in Dwayne's absence. Nathan's in Gisborne with a hero and a villain nomination. Nath, hello. How are we going, mate? First off, congratulations on the engagement, mate. Thank you very much. I've just been called uh, the biggest tosser on SEN for mentioning it off the text, but thank you for your kind words, Nath. Nah, maybe that person's a toss himself. (laughs) Um, this whole covers. I've got a hero and villain for you, but just with the covers, 
it's also it's going to regional, and that's probably the one issue we're going to find with going to regional place with the big bashes. GMHBA isn't a cricket stadium. It's got one drop-in pitch mm. for this BBL, but it's not an MCG, it's not a Wagger, it's not the Gabba that have got these uh, massive amounts of covers. So it's always going to be an issue they may face um, with not having the adequate amount of covers, possibly. Um, I don't know how you look at it, but taking to my villain, I'm going to go with this terrible weather. With a Saturday, yes. no BBL, that was in, that was in Adelaide. We've had last night. We've had weather. The Prime Minister's eleven. That got that got called off. Prime Prime Minister's eleven had a big storm go through, and it's cold and rainy now. But to my hero, to all the people before Christmas in the mad rush, tradies, sales workers, Merry Christmas! It's a hectic couple of weeks here, so enjoy everyone. Uh, it's a great message, Nathan, and for giving that message, you've won uh, an Albert Park Mini Golf Family Pass uh, for the school holidays as well. So when you come down to Melbourne next, uh, you and the family can enjoy a round of mini golf at the Albert Park Mini Golf Facility, which is as good as any there is. Um, yeah, and the message in all that is just try and be kind to each other. Everybody's stressed at this time of the year. Everybody's racing around trying to get things done last minute. Everybody is just doing their best and if we can all just be a little kind to each other, a little patient with each other, we'll all get through it a little bit easier. People helping people. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Like the bloke who just texted me, calling me a tosser off the text. He must be going through a bit of a rough patch. And I'm thinking of you, mate. I'm sorry your day's not going too well. Uh, one 736 for Midday Madness. We're getting a couple of people texting in saying, and again, I don't have this verified, so we will check it out, but... Um, we've got a couple of people texting in to say that there might be a fire at the Kuyong Tennis Club uh, at the minute. Brett's saying that his brother just drove past and let him know. So we'll just check out any reports. Don't quote me on that, but we're getting some people, a couple of people texting in to say that. So we'll get some confirmation on what's actually uh, happening there. So just be careful if you are in there and we hope everyone's okay if that is indeed happening. Um, Pete's in Sunbury. G'day, Pete. you got a Villa nomination for us. Hello, Pete. Yeah, hi, how are you? Good, mate. What have you got for me? Uh, I was on, I've been on hold. I've I've got the umpires as a villain, but they could have been a hero for playing the game bowling from one end. Now, yeah, hi, is, yeah um, is that allowed, Pete? Is that I I would have to check the rules to see. Are you actually allowed to conduct a game of cricket only bowling from one end? Well, why not? They had the crowd there. You know, they had it was only damaged at one end. Why not play the game? Well, clearly they thought it was unsafe to, to keep playing the game, but your belief was it was the main issue was just because it was from that one end. Yeah, well, that was the only. It, it was only when it was pitching in that area it was dangerous. Yeah. yeah. But the other end seemed to be okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I would imagine that there'd be a reason why they couldn't, Pete. We just need to get to the bottom of of what that is. But uh, thank you for the call, mate. Greatly appreciate it. We're just running close to the news. So Charlie in Ballarat's got a hero nomination for us before the news. G'day, Charlie. Charlie, you're on air, my friend. Hello. 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 You got a hero nomination for us? Yeah, I reckon um, the olden days cricketers look like pretty big heroes after what happened last night. Um, you sort of hear a lot of people comparing to Don Bradman and could they compete with him these days, but I don't know if you think Kane Richardson's any quicker than Harold Larwood. You'd probably be kidding yourself. Um. Are you saying that they would have kept playing back in the day in those conditions? 
Well, they've played, they played on uncovered wickets right the way through out. I think sticky wickets was pretty much part of the game back then. Yeah, I, I reckon that they're... Well, look, I, we didn't have the speed gun back then, so we don't, I suppose, know how fast they were bowling. What we do know is that athletes are much bigger, fitter and stronger than they were then. So there might have been a couple of players who might have been expressed, but by and large, I'd say they're bowling quicker today and heavier today than they were back then, Charlie. But I would say that, you know, with what we know about concussions and what we've seen with, you know, ball striking people where we don't want them struck and just how bad that can be. And we've seen the very worst of that with, with, with Phil Hughes, sadly, that you just don't want to be putting players in a situation where their safety is in jeopardy, I reckon. Yeah, again, I'd be pretty surprised if Kane Richardson was more dangerous than Anthony they had back in the day. Well, I guess we'll never know, Charlie, but it's always a great conversation comparing eras. But I reckon at the moment, everybody erring on the side of caution where they can, um, especially not wanting to run the risk of running into any legal ramifications as well as safety ramifications. But, mate, thank you for the call. We're hard up against the news. Andy from Terrelgan is going to have a chat with us on the other side. He's going to have a question for us all to ponder. Uh, but let's get into the newsroom. Oh, thank you very much, Amy Drew. Brilliantly done, as always. Uh, Werribee Kia Open Line is exactly that for Werribee Kia Awarded Prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year, Werribee Kia where else? There's a lot of text coming through uh, on the 40 Winks Temper text for the all-new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. Mark from Montrose saying, bowlers bowling way quicker back in the day compared to now. Um, 806 saying, no, Sam, if you think the modern-day bowlers are on average faster than in the past, apparently the, the older bowlers from back in the day are faster, according to a few texts coming in. Um, and then finishing off with, you really may be a tosser. So thanks very much. A couple of people telling me oh, I'm not the biggest, oh, I'm the second. No, it's just kind. I suppose we can't win them all. one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. So keep those just wonderful and warm uh, texts coming through on the 40 Winks Temper text. Andy from Terralgan, I always love when I see his name flash up on, on the call screen. He uh, rings up Andy and Gazy every Friday afternoon and asks them a great question, and he does me the pleasure of doing the same thing whenever I jump back on air. Uh, and he's called in again today. Andy, hello, mate. Yeah, Sam. How are you this afternoon, mate? I'm very, very well. Thanks for asking. How are you? I'm pretty good for this Monday afternoon. What have you got for me? Uh, before my question, I'd like to say something to you, Sam, and personally. Yeah. Congratulations to you and Evie on your engagement. Thank you. And I hope mate. you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you both and your family. Uh, and same to you and your family. I hope you have a great Christmas and, and a safe uh, Christmas and New Year period, mate. Uh, what, what's your question for today? Okay, my question this afternoon is, see the other test series starts at on home service soil on Thursday. Name me the three of the best of the best test menus on Australia soil since 2000. Oh, the, the best test moments on Australian soil since when? 2000. Since 2000. Um... Oh, that means I can't put I can't put Warney's hat trick in. Um, I'll put Warney Warney's last test. Um, I think when he just ripped through England, uh, and no, actually, sorry, he's the seven hundredth wicket when he when he when he tore through England. Bold uh, was it? Um, 
uh, Strauss, thank you, ran, that's who I was thinking of, around the legs and took off, and uh, that was incredibly special. Um, I'd say 2003, Steve Waugh getting the century on the last day. I know that some people consider that a, a selfish moment, but if you take all that out of it and put yourself back watching the vision in that moment and what was going on at, at that time, that was a pretty special occasion. Um, and I reckon... Oh, geez, it's a great question, Andy. I'm going to leave so many incredible... There's when Gilly in his second test, um, and I reckon it was Justin Langer, um, chased down the target that I think it was Pakistan had set um, in just his second test, which after he got booed in Brisbane for replacing Ian Healy, he then goes down um, to to Hobart and, and helps win the test for Australia. Made 149 not out. Thank you, Link. Um... I reckon that's one of the great moments as well, but there could be a few more. I mean, geez, it wasn't a great moment, but it was an incredibly emotional moment. Australia's performance in Adelaide against India after the tragic death of Phil Hughes, who I just mentioned earlier. So there's, there's some good ones there, Andy. It's a ripping question. Just to be able to pick three is very hard. What have you got? Okay, I've got three. Here we go. Michael Clark, 329 against India in, at the SCG in 2012. Yes. Uh, number two, when Gilchrist got the fastest 100 in 2000, in one of the Ashes series at the Wacker. Yeah, that was a ripper in 06. And Peter Siddle got a hat-trick on his birthday. Oh, that was good, in, wasn't it? At the Gabba. Yeah, that was in uh, 2010. Thanks, Link. He's killing it at the back, Link. He's just... Uh... We might have found a new calling for our man. Uh, if, 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 if Colo needs a break with the stats as he's calling uh, for SEN Cricket, I reckon Link would be doing very nicely. Hey, that's a very, very good list, Andy, and I reckon we'll have some people who would love to jump in on this on the Werribee Key or Open Line or on the 40 Winks Temper Tech. So the question again that Andy from Terrellgan's asking is, since 2000, your top three greatest test match memories so if you wanted to chime in on that one, uh, please do so. Andy, another brilliant question, mate. Always a pleasure to chat to you. Thanks for calling in. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for taking my time, taking in my question, and I hope you have a Merry Christmas and everyone out there too. Uh, beautifully said, as always, Andy from Terralgan. Keep your calls coming in. If you want to put some nominations in for what um, uh, Andy's question, Scotty Boland's uh, MCG Boxing Day Test Heroics, the six for seven, that's coming in. Uh, Gilly's Tun in Perth. Um, keep those coming in thick and fast. I've still got some heroes and villain nominations as well. If you've got some, one three hundred seven three six seven three six is afternoons on SEN. Afternoons on SEN. Uh, if you're not interested in hearing live scores, uh, despite us being a sports station, I'm just going to give you a little warning. Put your earmuffs on because I'm just going to give you a quick NFL update. It's a big game. <laughs> Thank you, Rod. Eagles, who are 10-2 and two on the season, uh, taking on the Dallas Cowboys, who are 9-3 and three, uh, in Dallas. Dallas have got the first touchdown of the game. Uh, Dak Prescott to C.D. Lamb. Touchdown. Dallas, they lead 7-0. Jalen Hurts uh, fumble, and it was recovered by Dallas. So Dallas get the ball back at their 21. Uh, heroes and villains on your Monday afternoon. A lot of nominations coming in from Andy and uh question about your top three 
uh, Australian Test cricket moment since 2000. One of mine didn't qualify because Gilly and Langer, um, Gilly's heroics uh, in Hobart was 1999. So that's not going to qualify. So thank you to who text that in. I've got a villain nomination, and I hate doing this because I love this player. As I love the whole Australian bowling quartet, um, I reckon that it is a great argument. It's an argument. It's not necessarily that they might, that they're better than, but could you make an argument that Cummins, Stark, Hazelwood and Lyon are the rival of McGrath, Lee, Gillespie and Warren? From a statistical standpoint, if you combine all four, they do stack up. So there is an argument. They don't win it for me. I would still go with McGrath, Lee, Gillespie and Warren if I had the pick, but they're in the argument. So there's, we've got to have a tremendous amount of respect for this group of four bowlers who have accomplished so much. But I'm going to give a villain nomination to Josh Hazelwood. The article by Ben Horn in the Herald Sun talking about Lance Morris and the emerging fast bowlers having to wait their turn. There'll be no free passes, etc. It seems like there's a little bit of revisionist history from Josh. And he said in the article, the next crop are going to have to wait like they did. And you've got to fight your way into the lineup. And there shouldn't be any blooding of youngsters into the lineup. This group, who are all into their 30s, the last thing we want is a mass retirement. So they've got that delicate balance now of maintaining this elite group that's achieved so much and delivered time and time again. And planning for your future. But exactly how hard was it for Hazelwood and Stark to get into the test site? Did they have to bide their time, as he suggested in the article, saying unless they warrant being dropped, then they don't want a rotation policy, despite the fact that Hazelwood's broken down a few times over the last few years. He's missed games, still taking wickets when he played, still performing at the highest level. Pat Cummins and Mitch Stark have all said the same thing recently, that there's no rotation policy anymore. So... I decided to crunch some numbers, and from what I can find and calculate, Josh Hazelwood, who debuted back in December of 2014 at the Gabba v India, Sheffield Shield matches he'd played, from my count, a total of 24, with 78 wickets, and he was 23 years of age. He played the six one-day international matches for 10 wickets. Peter Siddle actually got dropped after one bad test where he was crook during it, didn't perform had been huge in the ashes before that. He'd had Peterson's measure and made him his bunny. But Siddle got dropped, maybe a bit unfairly, for Hazelwood to get that opportunity. He played 24 matches for 78 wickets, 23 years old. Mitchell Stark debuted in 2011 versus New Zealand at the Gabba. At that stage, he'd played 15 Sheffield Shield matches for 40 wickets. He was 21 years old. He'd played two one-day internationals and got four wickets. He got his chance through injuries to Harris and Johnson at the time. Pat Cummins is not even in this calculation because he debuted in November 2011 versus South Africa as an 18-year-old. That was just his fourth first-class match, his first test. So he doesn't even come into this. So Lance Morris, by the way, has played 22 matches for WA, taken 74 wickets. He's 25 years old. So the comparison with Hazelwood's a pretty interesting one. The reason for the villain nomination, though, since when do players dictate selection policy for the team? Now, I'm a massive fan of all these players, they will go down as greats of the game. But does that entitle you to tell up-and-coming players when they'll play and how long they'll have to wait to play and how the selectors will and won't implement a selection or a rotation policy, especially when you've suffered regular injuries and you've been always brought back in despite your replacements at times starring in your absence? So just remember, Richardson, Nisa, Boland, they've all come in and taken bulk wickets, five for six fours. It might be worth Andrew McDonald and George Bailey just having a little chat with not just Josh Hazelwood, but Mitch Stark said some similar things. Pat Cummins, yes, he's the captain, but he doesn't pick the side. Just to have a chat to everyone that, yes, you might be a veteran. 
Yes, you might be a great of the game. Yes, you might have delivered Ashes, World Test Championships, World Cups this year, and you perform time and time again, but you don't pick the team. We do. So there's a little Villa nomination. It pains me to do it because I love those guys. They are legitimately greats of Australian cricket. But I just, just a couple of comments lately. And if you put that on top of what you may or may not think Dave Warner trying to set his own schedule for retirement, whether you buy into that or not, just might be a timely reminder to say, thanks, guys, but we'll, we'll do the selection. You just get out there and play. Players play. Selectors select. Coaches coach. So a little Villa nomination there um, for Josh Hayes would have you say on that one 736 736 or 0433981116. Uh, mix uh, Darren's in Blackburn who wants to give a test memory. G'day, Daz. Yeah, how's it going? Good, thanks, mate. Congratulations, Congratulations on the engagement, Sam. Fantastic news. <laughs> Thank you very don't much. Let any, don't let any of the naysayers ruin your moment, mate. No, he has texted well, me to apologise, that man, and I appreciate that apology too. We all have a bad moment uh, and fire off, and I'm, I'm guilty of that many times, shooting the mouth yeah, off before yeah. I've let the brain have its say. What have you got for me, Daz? Um, apologies if, if they've already been said. I've dropped out for a while there, but um, um, just on regards to... The old days and the sticky wickets, so they'd have the rain, and the pitches were uncovered, and then the sun come out and dry it out, and the pitch became absolutely damn dangerous. And 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 remember, there were no helmets or the protection they have back there, so they were some pretty wild days, I would mm. imagine. Yeah, I don't so, think we um, want to bring yeah, them back. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely not, absolutely not. But uh, so I think three moments for me. I, one one was touched on earlier. Warney 700, just amazing. Try and catch him. He just took yeah. off. It was absolutely incredible. Um, the miracle in Adelaide. Can never, never, ever forget that one. That was a ripper. England are racking up that massive score in the first innings. I'm watching it all this time. I'm just thinking, ah, my God. And, um, and, then, and then to actually skittle them cheaply and get the win was fantastic. And then the, uh, the Michael Clark three wickets in the last over in Sydney. To win the test match? Yeah, that's come through off the text uh, a few times, Darren. It's been a popular nomination. What a, what a, what what a performance that was! And I've got a special mention. On, I know it's not a test moment, but for me, one of the favourite moments in cricket on these shores is uh, when Mitchell Stark bowled McCullum in the first over at the 2015 World Cup final. That was just massive. Yes. Yep, yeah, some great nominations there, Darren. Hey, you've got 18 holes of golf for you and a mate and a cart. Uh, Club Mandalay, you get 18 holes of golf for two with drinks, a cart midweek for just 99 bucks. Visit Mandalay, clubmandalay.com.au. Stay on the line, Darren, and uh, Link will get your details. Have we got time, Rod, to get to Michael with a nomination? Excellent. Michael, your top three test memories since 2000, mate. <coughs> Michael, Hi, fire Sammy. away. Hello. How are you? Merry Christmas, mate. Thank you. To you as well. Hey, I've got a hero nomination and an answer for Andy's question. Yes. I want to give a hero nomination. I've seen you out of Werribee yesterday, Sammy. I love how the jockeys always throw their goggles to someone after they win a race. Yes. I reckon that's a good thing for the sport. It was great, wasn't it? I saw a couple of jockeys do that when I was, I was there for LadbrokesRacing.com yesterday. And, yeah, I noticed that myself, Michael. That's a great nomination. Well done to the jocks. Um, Andy's question. Um, I was there this day. I think it was a couple of years ago against South Africa when Warner made a double ton and he was, like, spent. And they were, like, bowling, you know, body line at him and that. Do you remember that innings? Uh, Warner at the end. 
last year? Was it last year or the year before he made 200? Yeah, last year against uh, South Africa. Yeah, he was cramping up and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah. it was Herculean. Uh, say what you want about Dave Warner, but that was an all-time great performance and, and it drew, and fair enough too, the comparisons with Dean Jones and what he went through getting that incredible century in India. Michael, we're running hard up against the break. If we've got time, we'll get your other two on the other side of it. So stay on the line and we'll get it after this. Afternoons on SEN. Uh, yes, indeed. Welcome back to Afternoons on SEN. That music sort of sounds like the start of maybe a home improvement show or like a lifestyle type thing. So if you wanted to send in your recipes and um, how to make your own oh, presents oh, oh, from oh, home, oh. Uh, how to make a fun space for the kids using just sand and a piece of wood, that's what it sounds like at Afternoons on SEN. Rod, for the man who really delivers music um, extraordinarily well in multiple ways, multiple themes. Is that the best we've got? <laughs> it's all you deserve, Sam. Uh, <laughs> Sam Hargrave's in for Dwayne. The Midday Madness Promise lives on. one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Werribee Kia open line. For Werribee Kia awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia, where else? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We're doing Heroes and Villains on a Monday. You can put your nominations in. There's a ton of those coming through on the 40 Winks Temper text as well for the all-new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper a mattress like no other. You can text 0433-981116. Midday Madness promise lives on. For Work Locker, Caram Downs and Packenham, unlocked, stocked and full of value workwear for wherever you work. Um, Midday Madness, it is a legacy that will live on well past all of us. And the promise lives on even in the pipe's absence. You call, you get on. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Coming up in the next hour, just about 20 to 2, we're going to have a chat to former Aussie pro uh, and now golf commentator, not just in Australia, but around the world, Ewan Porter. Um, as tapped in to the world of golf as anyone. He's just going to have a chat to us and talk about the seismic shift that just occurred in golf uh, over the weekend. John Rahm, the current Masters champion, two-time major winner, third player, ranked third in the world. He's a nomination for uh, the Jack Nicholas uh, Award for the PGA Player of the Year. His monstrous deal to go to live golf. He gets equity, um, he gets his own team. So does that mean that new players are going to be brought in for him as well? What all of that means, where things currently stand in the PGA uh, PIF Alliance, the golf ball rollback, the Australian golf summer that we just saw with the Australian PGA and the Australian Open. There's a ton of golf to talk about. And uh, an event that I absolutely love, the Grant Thornton Invitational, which gets a hero nomination from me uh, this week. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. But we want to talk cricket. The first test starts on Thursday. Uh, Jerry Whateley, Adam Collins, Simon Cadditch, Damien Fleming, Ian Smith, Peter Lawler from midday Thursday for the first test in Perth from Perth Stadium. And one of our favourites, one of the best people in cricket, not just as a cricket writer, but just as a cricket person, is Barrett Sunderace and the best dressed man in cricket as well. And he's been good enough to jump on the line with plenty to talk about. Barrett, hello, mate. Ooh, that's quite the introduction, Sam. Thanks, thanks for that, Sam. Oh, I, I, I feel very humbled already. I feel like I haven't sold it well enough, uh, Barat. But <laughs> can, can I just say, 
and I know that, and at risk of promoting <laughs> a podcast somewhere else, but the content was so important that I think it'll be okay that we do. Um, I haven't heard it all, but I've heard some snippets of the chat you had with Howie uh, on his podcast and how open and honest and vulnerable you were about where you had been in life. I won't spoil it all, but what you had been through, um, what you had lived through and where you currently are now, I just, I just thought it was incredible, mate, and, and a credit to you. So to be able to share that in the way that you did and how you did, um, you're a it was incredible. Oh, thank you so much for bringing that up. No, I mean, oh, full credit to Mark as well. I mean, just how uh, open he allows his guests to be on his show. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm so glad you said that. Like, uh, it's not easy talking about the massive mistakes you make in life. Uh, I think we all do, but maybe not to the extent I did back then. But uh, no, I'm just happy that, uh, like I said on the show as well, and I've always said I've always hoped that I would get a second innings in life. And uh, it's been a pretty good second innings. I can't complain. And uh, the next uh, over I have to face in the second innings. That's, I guess, the Perth test, uh, the last three tests that David Warner will play, you'd think, for Australia. Well, we're going to talk about that in, in just a moment. But can I get your view on the events of last mm. night? We've had a lot of people calling in saying, why was the game started? Why aren't covers good enough to prevent rain from getting in underneath? Which... GMHBA Stadium is not the first ground that's had that happen. Lords has had that happen. Yeah. So how this can happen, why the game was started and then called off, why couldn't they just bowl from one end? So there's a whole range of issues uh, in and around this. But what did you make of the events of, of the game between the, the Renegades and the Scorchers being cancelled last night after 6.5 overs in what was pretty looked pretty dangerous, especially from that one end? It looked like throwing, throwing the wahoo ball off the waves uh, to try and take slips catches at the beach. It was going everywhere. <laughs> Yeah, it was. And I, you know me, I'll always back the umpires uh, to the hills. Uh, well, you are one, so yes. Like this. No, <laughs> exactly. And, and it, it is always a tough decision. And, yeah. you know, at that level, when you have the paying, the paying public there, the broadcasters have paid a lot of money, and you can say that, oh, that shouldn't come into the question, but it, it does, and it should. Uh, and to, so as umpires, you try everything you can to make sure there is some cricket, some sort of a game out there. Um, and with regards to the covers and the water creeping in, you're right. I mean, it's happened all around the world, even at the uh, the best venues in the world, at test venues. You see, the, I mean, even the World Cup semi-final, uh, the reason that they stopped, uh, even despite the fact that the ground was fully covered at the Eden Gardens, is they felt that there was this cyclone coming. Uh, and, you know, none, nothing those covers uh, that were in place could have done if the cyclone had come. Thankfully, we avoided it, and Australia beat South Africa and went on to win the World Cup. So, I think that is beyond any umpire or any ground staff's uh, control when you have that kind of weather uh, in, in place. But uh, I, I guess the umpires would have decided to just give it a go and see how far they can take that game. Uh, but as soon as the player's safety comes into question, even if it's one delivery that misbehaved, mm. and you think, look, we got away with that one, the, the next ball could hit someone uh, in a place that could cause more damage, uh, you just take the players off the field. And I think that's what the umpires did. And once you call or, or take the players off the field, when it, then there are wet spots on the pitch. There's nothing much you can do unless uh, you can uh, kind of manufacture an artificial sun and dry the surface up. Uh, so now I'm completely with the umpires. There's nothing they could have done, but you can't blame the ground staff either for uh, the water creeping through. That's great insight. Is there not a situation where if they've got doubts and they're checking it out, do you, do you actually get someone to send a few down and see what it will do? Uh, you can't do that because that's the match pitch. Uh, so uh, that's the that, that and, and honestly, that's the issue the umpires have. Yeah. You really don't know how it's going to play out till you say, okay, play, 
and then you kind of hope for the best. And it looked like it was, yeah, the ball was doing all sorts, but it still looked like they could drag at least a 10 overs out from that innings and maybe have um, a, a run chase in place. But once the ball starts misbehaving to that extent, uh, you have no option but to but to call it off. And, and not to forget that there's another game coming up at the same venue in a few days' time as well. Right? Mm. Uh, yes, you can all, you always have other pitches on the square, but you don't want to damage it to an extent it becomes unusable for the future or the near future also. So, uh, no, and we're at that stage of the tournament as well. Look, it could have been different if it was a knockout game. I still think they would have taken the same decision. Mm. But then you can bring in other permutations and combinations. But at this ta- time or uh, this stage of the Big Bash League this season, I think it was the right call. Yeah, I chatted about it earlier and, and I was sort of of the belief that maybe they should have just erred on the side of caution from from the start. But I, I, I like the argument that you're putting up to say, hey, let's try at least to get a game and let's just see how it goes. And if we get the sense at any stage that this is not safe enough, then we'll pull the pin straight away because we don't want to put players at risk. So you've almost won me over with that because why not? Any chance we get to play cricket, we should be doing everything we can to get a game underway as long as we are not putting people and players in jeopardy. So I like the argument. Um, happy to be uh, have my mind changed. And I reckon you've done that. That's how good you are. Yay. Uh, <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, Barat, just before we get to the test, you, you've been in the news a little bit recently. A little chat that you had with Mitch Johnson has found its way into the cricket, into the cricket world in no uncertain terms. Um, when you were having that chat, did you were you saying to yourself, "Oh, this is going to blow up pretty big, and I'm probably going to get a fair few phone calls about this"? Uh, well, I, I knew that the moment uh, someone forwarded me the article that Mitch had written, uh, I think on Sunday was it? Yeah, the day before we recorded the podcast. Uh, uh, I mean, I obviously, uh, for some reason, can't uh, access the West Australian. But, uh, yeah, I mean, once I read the piece, I was like, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> because we were going to record the next day anyway. I mean, our weekly mm. podcast that we do about his life and time. And this is the 10-year anniversary of his uh, the famous Ashes as well. Uh, so, but, you know, you just could not move on without talking about it or yeah. giving him a chance to talk about it anyway. And I think he was more keen than I was to have his voice out there and you know everybody mm. else had, had a say about his, his words, his articles. So uh, that's how it started. But even the previous night, I'll be honest, I had a sleepless night. I was like, oh, okay, how do I, I mean, because I honestly did not uh, agree with uh, some of the opinions that he'd made, but that's, that's the beauty of opinions, right? Everybody yeah. has one. So, uh, and you stick with it. So, uh, but having said that, I still wanted to, uh, you know, kind of keep the integrity of the podcast alive. This wasn't an interview or nor was he coming on my show to talk about his life. So yeah. I had to keep uh, that, um, that, that going, but at the same time, you know, make it more about him than me. Like I, I, my views or my opinions didn't matter. Uh, and I'm happy. I, I was very happy with the the finished product, to be honest. Sam. Mm. I thought, um, you know, he came across as honest and genuine. Uh, and that's the Mid Johnson I've uh, come to know really well in the last few years. So uh, I, I do take a lot of uh, uh, pride in the fact that I gave him that platform. But, uh, you know, after that, if you want to disagree or agree, and as we've seen, people are divided about not just his opinion, but also about his words. Yeah, and I 100% agree with your stance since that you might not agree with what he's saying, but to attack him for having an opinion, which he has earned the right to have as much as anybody, um, he has said that he would have done things a little differently. Um, And maybe there's a couple of things he said that went to the personal. He's since given context as to why 
that's happened and why that sort of why things have got personal between the parties involved. But the attack that he got from some sectors um, mm. and in the media for for having an opinion, I thought was um, was out of line. Mm, yeah, oh, totally, exactly. And then uh, are we saying that nobody can have uh, or have a proper go at anyone who's playing the sport currently or any sport for that matter? Mm. Uh, but that's also, I guess, a sign of the times we are in, right, Sam? Uh, uh, this is just one of the many examples you see these days, like when someone really puts their neck out there, and, and especially someone who's paid uh, paid to put their opinion out there. Right? Like you said, he he played cricket for Australia for many, many years, which is, again, what I said on the podcast as well. My perspective is very different to his because I've been privileged to see this current team up close and personal in the last yeah. few years. And you know them uh, all so well. Exactly, yeah. And I, I mean, I can say, put uh, stick my neck out and say, no, I mean, the work George Bailey has done with this side is remarkable. And ironically, the last piece I wrote from the from the World Cup was, you know, talking about the unsung heroes of this World Cup win, which is Andrew McDonald and George Bailey and Daniel Vittori, Michael Divinero and Andy Flar and everybody else. And, uh, and also David Warner. I mean, I was there in the ashes, right? Everybody else, I mean, Mitch was watching it on TV. And obviously, he brings a former cricketer's perspective, which is very mm. different to mine and everybody else's. So, but to say that, no, you should, how dare you make it personal or how dare you um, write it in the way you want to, I mean, that's kind of unfair. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Hey, um, this first test, so already there's some really interesting narratives coming in. I've found it fascinating that Pat Cummins, so put him to one side because he's the captain, so I think that puts him in a little different space. But Mitch Stark and Josh Hazelwood saying, no, no, there's no rotation policy anymore. We're playing unless we're injured or our form doesn't warrant it. We won't be resting. We won't be doing this. We won't be doing that. If you're in line, then you'll just have to wait because we did, although I just read some stats out earlier that maybe – uh, disagree slightly with with that take from from Josh in his uh, interview with Ben Horn, but are you surprised that we've got a situation now where players are being so vocal about what they think will and won't happen with selection? I guess I get it from Josh Hazelwood's perspective, though. Uh, you put his last two or twenty four months into context, Sam. His Test career in particular. I mean. But he's played the three test matches. Uh, he broke down a few times. Mm. Uh, and I remember interviewing him for SEN before the last SCG test against South Africa. And uh, he was also, I mean, he was so excited about the test cricket coming up for Australia. Uh, I mean, with the four tests in India, the, the, the six in England. Uh, and he was so gung-ho about playing in all of them. And yeah. then he broke down again before at the start of the India tour. So for him to say that, I, I, I get it. Like, you know, he wants to play, almost make up for the lost time. And, and don't forget, these are guys who are 33, 34 now or approaching the, the, their mid-30s. So uh, they also, I mean, we speak a lot about David Warner, but these big fast bowlers who played all formats are also looking uh, at toward, I'm sure at this point, thinking about the end of their respective careers and they yeah. want to make the most of it. Uh, and don't forget, Australia don't play uh, the same number of test matches in 2024 as they did in 2023. No. So they would take that into consideration as well. So I get where they're coming from. Uh, but, I, I mean, we've seen that in sport before, especially in cricket. If you are a fast bowler or a wicketkeeper, at times you just have no other option but to wait in the line and just hope that you get that opportunity. And when you do, and I just get a feeling that Lance Morris will do that, he will have an impact. Uh, absolutely. I agree with that. So... What are we expecting for Australia in the first test? One change, line in for Murphy, you'd think would be um, pretty much the only change um, from the Oval. Um, what can we expect from Pakistan, though? Can I mean, we're, we're billing this and all the promotion, Barat, is that see this team as this team for the last time, uh, for the last summer. Mm. 
Yeah, well, it, we saw, said the same thing about South Africa as well, didn't we, Sam, last year? And uh, it's, 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 it, is, it is painful to, be, uh, to see what uh, this Pakistan team looks like right now compared to two months ago. I, I was one of them. I, I remember tweeting out saying, I can't wait to see Shaheen Afridi and Nassim Shah with a new ball in Perth two months from now. This is before the World Cup when the Asia Cup was on. And since Nassim Shah has broken down, and just seeing a couple of those teamers, yes, it was a flat and slow pitch in Canberra, uh, but to see Kuram Shahzad and uh, even uh, uh, Mir Hamza, the left-arm fast bowler, uh, the pace, is, pace at which they were bowling, you're like, oh, well, I hope for the best now with Shai Nafridi's record of breaking down in big series as well. And then to lose their key spinner, Ebrar Ahmed, who is definitely ruled out of the first test we hear, uh, and to hear that, well, they're down to Noman Ali and Sajid Khan, who uh, uh, we saw play three test matches in Pakistan last year and have zero impact on the Aussies. You do worry about their bowling. Uh, mm. Look, there is Babar Azam, there's class in their batting. Shan Masood, test batting, uh, is, is such a lovely batter to watch. And there are a few others as well. Abdullah Shafiq won us all over last year in Pakistan. But the bowling's a problem. And, at the, and that's what they suffered from four years ago, when what they conceded 500-plus runs in both test matches. And at the moment, that's what it looks like. But you never know. Maybe there is a surprise in store. Let's hope for the best so that we get a competitive summer. What what do you think is going to end up being, apart from when he or will he or won't he, or it's all W's and the final W is the W for Warner. Yes, put that to one side. What do you think is going to be the biggest story of the Australian Test Summer? We've had a caller call in before, Andy from Taralgan, who who asks, is asking everybody to give their, their top three Australian Test cricket moments since 2000. And the suggestions have been incredible and far-ranging and a brilliant trip down memory lane. What will be the story from this summer for you, Barat? Uh, I guess, I mean, if you leave David Warner's uh, a grand farewell, uh, <laughs> and look, and before we even move on from that, I, I said this on uh, another show yesterday on TV. I, I really do think he's underappreciated in Australia. Leave everything aside. I mean, what he's done for Test cricket at the top of the order yeah. is remarkable. I mean, he's a, he's a pioneer. And, you know, you look at his averages. Uh, he's got that Test average in spite of batting the way he has and not because yeah. of it. And I think that's full credit to him. Uh, so his final test, that final inning. I'm already looking forward to his final practice session in, at the SCG. Uh, so that'll, you know, how much I care about those things. Uh, so uh, <laughs> it'll be quite something. Uh, I, I guess for me, I just get a feeling that Lance Morris will play at some point mm. and um, he'll have that big impact. I, I saw him in train, training sessions uh, in India, uh, even last summer. There is something about him. It's not just the pace. There's something extra about uh, this kid. And I'm really excited uh, to see him go. Uh, well, apart from that, I guess it's just the rise and rise of Pat Cummins, to be honest. I mean, what mm. a year he's had. Yeah. Just think back to the last time you saw him captain on these shores in Sydney in that reign of test. And just see where he is right now. I mean, everything that he's learned and experienced in the last nine, nine or so months, uh, you know, it, it's been an amazing journey. And, uh, uh, and I, I'm so excited that Australians will get to see this Pat Cummins lead this Australian team on their shows again, uh, even though it's just been nine months since they did it. A hundred percent. I think put, yeah, put aside about the, what you, you might have a personal view on the people themselves, but as a team, what this team's achieved should be celebrated and we should be getting there en masse this summer to show our appreciation for what they've achieved. And it's a big one, Barat, and I've got to let you go, but we've seen really poor crowds since what happened with Justin Langer in Perth for international matches. And it was embarrassingly low, the crowd last year for the test. I, I don't put any... Faith, I don't put any credit to the argument, oh, it was just the West Indies. 
if you want the test and you love test cricket and you love Australian cricket, then you show up or you don't get a test anymore. So it's a big, it's a big, <laughs> big occasion for the people of Perth who show up and show out for just about everything. One of the best stadiums in Australia. There is no yeah. excuse for not being there. You don't want to be losing test match rights because you continue to not show up in protest. Yes, you've got a fair argument for your protest, but you've got to let it go at some point. Oh yeah, protest from home if you want to, but like yeah, I mean, like like you said, the opposition shouldn't matter. Uh, you're getting to see uh, some of Australia's greatest cricketers or, or modern day cricketers anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, why wouldn't you want to go out and watch Travis head bat or Pat Cummins oh, or Nathan Lyon back in the in the flesh, you know, playing Test cricket for Australia? Uh, I, I mean, these are real heroes, uh, and I really do hope, like you said, and you have your own Mitchell Marsh as well doing some wonderful things at number six. So there's plenty of reasons to come and watch Australia regardless of who they're playing against. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, uh, it, there's no excuse for this not to be a big crowd when we get there on Thursday. Barat, love your work with Crick Buzz, SEN Cricket as well. You'll be there with the whole team uh, for the first test on Thursday. Can't wait. Thanks, mate. Uh, cheers, man. Thanks so much. Uh, he's a very good human being, very good cricket writer and commentator, Barrett Sunder Racing uh, on SEN. Uh, we've got to quickly get a break away and come back before the news. Afternoons on SEN. Arzani delivers. It's a good ball in. Oh, it's four from Bonaroli. Well, the near post header. And for the second time this season, and just the second time in his A-League career, he has scored four goals in a match. And what a way to bring up number 100. Bruno Bonaroli. Hats off. Uh, the sports celebration, thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. That was Bruno Fornaroli's fourth goal for Melbourne victory yesterday in their 4-3 win over the Western Sydney Wanderers. Bruno tweeted, winning is always the most important thing. However, this time I want to thank each of my teammates, coaches and staff since I arrived in Australia for helping reach a huge milestone, 100 goals in the A-League, and I'll keep working to get more. Thank you all. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals. Uh, keep the hero and villain nominations coming through on the Ruby Kia open line uh, and on the 40 Winks temper text. And then you and Port is going to join me at 20 to 2. There's a heap going on in the world of golf and uh, that's coming up on Afternoons on SEN. Thank you, Amy Drew. Uh, on Mondays when I had the Sporting Capital and now when I get to fill in for Dwayne, if it's a Monday, we like to do heroes and villains. Who are the heroes and who are the villains in the weekend of sport? Now, I'm going to give a hero nomination to Greg Norman. Um, obviously, I wasn't wrapped with some of the way that he handled a few things when the Live uh, Venture got off the ground and some of the things that he said, but getting the signature of John Rahm whilst the PGA are sort of at war within themselves and they're at risk of blowing up the PIF alliance. Uh, they've just reported today that they've uh, appointed um, Strategic Sports Group, uh, a consortium led by Fenway Sports Group, as the unanimous choice to further negotiate a potential partnership in the new PGA Tour enterprises. So there's a whole lot going on in that world. And as they drag their feet and try to get their ducks in a row, Greg Norman, who people think or people thought wouldn't survive uh, and was had a big target on his back. He's just gone about getting, uh, they thought he was dead in the water. He's gone about signing the current Masters champion, current world number three, the leading contender to win the Jack Nichols Award as the PGA Player of the Year. Um, if he wins that, they might have to do a Bret Hart, WWF-style Montreal screw job to get rid of uh, him and take that off him. 
Uh, the deal, the Telegraph reporting the number to be 566 million US, 302 paid up front. Anything like that would mean that he um, is going to be the youngest athlete to ever earn 500 million in career earnings, and he would do it at the age of 29. If he gets that 302 signing bonus in 2023, he'd be the highest paid athlete in the world for the calendar year. Um, he's apparently getting an equity stake. Um, Callaway might be as well. Um, they're the biggest brand in golf right now. So that would be another massive element to this, having them involved at that level with Liv. He's reportedly not just joining a team, but he's starting his own with an ownership stake in it. There's reports of Terrell Hatton, uh, Terrell Hatton, Tony Finau could be coming too, whether that's with him or somewhere else. He has been critical of Liv early. He is also critical of PGA's handling of Liv and their communication about the Alliance and especially critical of Jay Monaghan. He was critical of Liv players not being able to play in the Ryder Cup. So yes, whilst he has had a bit each way, this isn't maybe as big a surprise if you follow the history through it. Liv now has 15 of the last 30 majors, has has the winners of 15 of the last 30 majors. That's substantial. This signing is so big that even Brandel Shambly, who's been the most outspoken critic of Liv, Norman, Phil Mickelson, etc., he's now saying that it's best that this alliance gets sorted out before more damage is done. When they signed Cam Smith, when Greg Norman got Cam Smith, that was big because he was seen as a player in his prime, not past it, as they thought that Phil and Bubba and DJ, and maybe even at that point, Brooks Kepka were, although he's won a major since and he's rediscovered his best golf. But this is even bigger and the impact's going to be more substantial. It's so big that even Rory, isn't criticising him and saying that he'll definitely be playing Ryder Cup still, even though Rory didn't want anyone involved in Liv involved in the Ryder Cup. And Rory himself has left the PGA board, which goes to show you how things are going there. He and Patrick Cantlay apparently not seeing eye to eye. So a hero nomination for Greg Norman for signing a man who is in the top three best players in the world right now, the reigning Masters champion. It is a monstrous deal. It's going to have further ramifications. It won't just be Ram, there'll be more. So there's a whole lot to get through in the world of golf, but a hero nomination for Greg Norman, uh, that is just extraordinary, getting that signature of John Rahm in the way that they've done it. He said no initially, but they just made him an offer that he couldn't refuse. Godfather style. And that's where we find ourselves. It's a major shift um, in the tectonic plates of golf. We're going to talk golf with you and Porter on the other side of this. Afternoons on SEN. Sam Hargraves in for Dwayne. Loving your calls on the Werribee Key open line and your text on the 40 Winks temper text. All your heroes and villains from the weekend in golf and some congratulatory messages from my engagement from Friday, which are greatly appreciated, and I thank you for them. Uh, there's a lot happening in the world of golf. I just gave a little hero nomination um, to Greg Norman for the, the in amongst all the chaos of golf right now, the signing of John Rahm is as seismic an event uh, as there has been. Uh, and to speak to us about that and a whole lot more, this man is incredibly well-placed to do so. He's a former Aussie pro, won the Moona Lynx. He's played in three Opens uh, as a player, but now he commentates all around the world, six different tours, 18 different countries. He's the founder of the Adidas Junior Sixers, um, an important person in Australian golf. He was walking the courses for the Australian PGA, bringing that to life, uh, and in the uh, Australian Open as well. You and Porter have had the pleasure of working with before, as good as anyone in the game has been good enough to jump on you. And hello, mate. Sam, thank you very much for that introduction. I'm blushing. Well, <laughs> no, look, you just put the resume together and I read it. Um, this John Rahm signing, uh, 
I mean, Cam Smith was big because he was at the peak of his powers. Um, but this is a two-time major winner, the current Masters champion. He's in the running for the Jack Nicholas Award. The size of the deal is going to make him the highest paid person in sport, even more so than the baseballer that just signed a deal that's quite back-ended and not fully guaranteed. So it's as big a deal as there has been in golf. What was your take? Well, there is a lot to wrap your head around, isn't there? And I think um, I think the, the, the most important thing with the John Rahm signing is the timing of it all, given the fact that the December 31 deadline is looming for the negotiations between PGA Tour and the Saudi, uh, the PIF, the Public Investment Fund. Um, it still remains to be seen what's happening there, but I think this will be the catalyst for um, ex- expedited talks between the PGA Tour and, and the Saudis because I think something needs to happen at the end of the day. What we want, what we all want, fans and players, is the best players playing against one another on a regular basis and having this fractured world of golf uh, like it's been for the past 18 months is not good for anyone. But um, kudos, as you said, to Greg Norman, kudos to um, to John Rahm uh, for taking the leap. And um, I'm sure there's going to be some big names following him uh, pretty soon. Well, he's getting his own team, which I thought was a really interesting part of that because that says to me that not only is he coming, but there are others. And there's been reports that Terrell Hatton and Tony Finau uh, could be a couple of those names. But if he's going to have a, a, an equity stake in his own team, which is part of this deal, John Rahm, he, he's not going to get nobodies. Not at all, no. And you're right. I mean, him and uh, Rahm and Finau are very close friends. They practice and play together in Arizona. So I think that would be a no-brainer, no matter how much Tony Finau downplays it. I think that's almost a given. Terrell Hatton's name was thrown around at the beginning of Live 18 months ago. I think that would be a no-brainer. I've also heard other names, like Nikolai Wigard. Um, apparently, there's an Australian in there as, as well. Um, it, it, I think at some point, it's not going to be a, a shock. It's going to be almost relatively normal players that jump ship. That you know, I, I just think there needs to be, like I said, it needs to come together and amalgamate in some capacity because it's it's just bizarre what's going on. It is, Ewan, and the PGA seems to be almost at odds with itself at the moment. Rory leaving his seat on the player advisory board. There's reports that he and Patrick Cantlay just don't see eye to eye, that Patrick now has a major influence over what's happening, and he's one of the reasons why there's hold-ups with the negotiations and the alliance with the PIFs, and he's been one of the people majorly pushing for this announcement today that they're going to advance discussions with Strategic Sports Group, which is... Um, partly with the Fenway Group and other major um, sporting organisation owners uh, around America as they continue to talk with the PIF as well. So I'm still trying to get my head around what that means. Can you enlighten us a little bit? Well, I mean, I, I think with all... <laughs> that sigh yeah, says it all. That sigh yeah, says it all. I, you, know, you know what, Sam? I, I think it's the first time in history, in the history of golf, last 12 to 18 months, that we're, we're hearing about owners and investors, et cetera. It's just been simply about golf for as long as we can remember. And I, I see exactly why Greg Norman and the Saudis have started Live. They've seen a huge gap in the market and they're going for it and it's working. The PGA Tour, they've done a great job with what they're doing um, and they have the history and everything. And, you know, I, I just think, I, like I said, I think at, at some point, we have to figure out a way to have a truly global tour where the best players go around the world. It's been very insular. 
um, within the United States for a long, long time, and they've trodden on the toes of a lot of others around the world, including us here in Australia. And I, you mentioned off the bat how I've commentated around the world, and um, it's been quite eye-opening and fascinating to see how live is received around the world. It's, it was, um, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen so many Ripper GC hats and Range Goats shirts, etc., in the Aussie events the last two weeks. But it's extremely taboo to talk about it um, in the Northern Hemisphere. And that's fine. But, you know, Australia and Asia have been two markets that have that have, um, have, have sorely missed um, the upper echelon of competition for the men over the last however many years. And uh, to see the best players in Adelaide earlier in the year and again next year and then such great fields at the Australian Open PGA, it's done wonders for our game here and the popularity of the sport in general, just at participation levels and club memberships, etc. So there's a lot of good things happening in golf. We just have to figure out... Um, in the professional game, how to, how to all get along. Yeah, and I don't think the PGA now can claim to have the whip hand. I think that's how big the John Rahm decision is, that you've now got to maybe just have a little bit of humility about the way that you're going about it. Even Rory wasn't going to criticise John and saying he'd welcome him back in the Ryder Cup, which is a massive change of tune. So, yeah, the next 12 months... Uh, and even this month is going to be just so crucial to what the future of, of golf is. From a from a weekend hacker's point of view, Ewan, explain the, go- the golf ball rollback. Well, I mean, I, I don't see it having a huge impact on the regular club golfer at all. I mean, it's really only going to affect the elite level of the game where, I guess, in, in layman's terms, I think it's somewhere between... 10 to 15 yards of the golf, from what I've read, the golf ball um, is going to travel um, less. So if the average drive on two and a half is 305 yards, it's going to be somewhere between 290 and 295. And it's, it's really for the future of the game that they're doing this because a lot of the grand old courses around the world, like your Royal Melbourne's will, they're, they're already becoming somewhat obsolete. Uh, and the way the courses were designed, you can't keep building. There's just not enough land to you know, make new tees and, and new greens, et cetera. Um, you can't just keep throwing bunkers in willy-nilly or trees, water hazards, whatever it is. There's just not enough land and it costs too much money. So uh, it's really for the future of the game that they need to rein it in. And um, for the club, for the club golfer, it's just really not going to affect them too much. Uh, good to hear. Um, speaking of innovation in golf, I thought the Grand Thornton Invitational was sensational. Um 54 holes, but teaming a PGA player and an LPGA player, Jason Day and Lydia Ko win it by a shot. But as I'm watching this all unfold, you and and loving the format, loving the different formats each day, I'm thinking this should really be an international event. I mean, this could be, you know, Min Ji and Min Woo, Cam Smith, Hannah Green, Adam Scott, Grace Kim, Lucas Herbert and Gabby Ruffles, Cam Davis uh, and Sarah Kemp. This has got international like Ryder and President's Cup all over it for me. I loved it. Absolutely, and there should be more of it. There's been calls for more of it from the international players, believe it or not, um, over the last few years. I think with, with what's happened in the game, I think the PGA Tour realised they had to do something a little bit different and step outside the box. They did that, put on them. Um, great to see the uh, you know the Australasian pair of Jason Day and Lydia Ko get over the line. That was fantastic. But you're right, and I think the President's Cup should become mixed as well. Four men, four women on each side, or six men, six women, whatever it is. And um, I think it would make for for a better event. But I think this will be the catalyst for further events uh, with male and females teaming up uh, with one another, which I think, once again, can only be a good thing for the sport. And it will tick a lot of boxes for sponsors too. 
And how great, how well some of these players complemented each other when you combine distance of men, accuracy of women, touch around the greens. And I, I just, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was compelling watching and it's a credit to them and hopefully it's something uh, that catches on. Just before I let you go, the Australian swing. So uh, the Australian PGA with Min Woo winning and then the Australian Open, which felt felt like it worked better this year at the two courses than last year. Um, the internationals, Neiman and Buhai, taking it out and Lockie Wood and the All Abilities. You commentated both of them. Um, they seem to be a lot more eyeballs and a lot more attendance this year. Incredible, wasn't it? And I think you've got the... Uh, look, I, I commentated last year down in Victoria and it was a fantastic atmosphere down there as well, but it's a much more intimate setting down at Victoria Golf Club, as you mm. know. It's uh, it, you know greens and tees next to one another, and and, and tree-lined fairways. Whereas at the Australian, there's a lot more room. It's a tournament-built golf course. I mean, it's uh, it's a stadium-like course, like we see in America, and it's so much more room for hospitality tents and marquees and crowds to walk around. It was just conducive to having a bigger bigger crowd. But um, the eyeballs on television too. That was. Uh, Astronomical. I think it was 187% more than last year. Um, really, really mind blowing. I still personally think the men and the women should have their own Australian Opens. I think they deserve separate Australian Opens. But I think when you see um, when you see numbers and figures like we've we've just spoken about, um, it's hard to argue against it. And then that's how you're going to receive government money and government support, and which Golf Australia do. And I think the only sort of um, thing up in the air at the moment with it all is, uh, is it going to be in Sydney or will it be in Melbourne next year? That remains to be seen. I mean, if I'm the New South Wales government, I wouldn't want to be letting go of um, what what took place with the Australian Open, that's for sure. But, you know, Royal Melbourne or something would certainly be a, a perfect venue for it too. You and I only feel like we've just scratched the surface of everything that's going on in golf. It's, it's heady days. Um, it's, the changing of days in golf, it's, you know, history is going to look back on this period in one way or another. And it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because the whole golfing world is, is, is changing and wow, where it's going to end up. We don't know. Thanks for having a chat about it. Uh, you're welcome, Sam. And I think just to, just to uh, cap it all off, I mean, I think us Aussies, we've seen it all before with the Super League back in the nineties with World Series cricket, with the IPL. Yeah, it's different for the Americans. Um, they've never really experienced anything like this, and, and someone challenging their power, they don't like it. I think what we're seeing in the game at the moment is power and egos at play, and um, it's it's unfortunate, but that's what happens at, at the helm of sports. And um, it will, I think, certainly within the next few months, and definitely within the next twelve months, it'll all be working in some capacity. Well, hopefully, they just do what is best for the game and not themselves. So egos can be put aside and the fans and the people can be uh, at the forefront of all the decisions. Thanks, Ewan. You're a staff. Appreciate it. You're welcome, Sam. Have a great day. Thank you. Ewan Porter, you can hear him just about on every tour all around the world, uh, commentating and, and, and doing us proud. Uh, if you've got a hero or a villain nomination, if you wanted to have your say on what's happening in the world of golf right now, the John Rahm decision, PGA, golf ball, the Grant Thornton, um, please, one three hundred seven three six seven three six on the Werribee open line or the 40 Winks temper text or 433 Afternoons on SEN. Another hour with you, my on rod. There we go. Looking forward to spending another hour with you, Sam Hargraves, in for Dwayne. But don't worry, Dwayne's promise of you call, you get on still lives. Midday Madness for Worklocker, Caram Downs, and Packenham Workwear for wherever 
you work. Uh, 1-300-736-736 to call on the Werribee Kia open line for Werribee Kia awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year. Werribee Kia, where else? You can text in 0433-981116 on the all-new Temper Pro or for the all-new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper, a mattress like no other. Uh, Andy and Gazy, by the way, just the captain of Australia as well, they hang around. They're, they're, not, they're, they're still here fighting the good fight uh, from 3 o'clock this afternoon. Um, and hopefully they'll have some big-name guests uh, to talk about some of the big stories of the day. Australia's greatest ever person. Is that uh, Andy speaking about himself or about Gazy? Just to, if, about Gazy. I just had hey, just wanted to clarify. Um, now, looking forward to the boys coming on after 3 o'clock. Uh, a couple of people suggesting that the, 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 the new song of Afternoons, the generic song that we're rolling with Rod, isn't the best that we could come up with. So um, I'm on for another Monday. So we might, oh, oh, Rod, carte blanche. You, 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 you find me the song that you think best. Here you go, Rod. For next Monday, you find me the song you think best uh, describes me or suits me. There's a challenge for you. You're not here next Monday. All right, well, then don't worry about it. one 736 Some big footy stories happening at the moment. So uh, the announcement today that uh, Daisy Pearce will be the next coach of the West Coast Eagles AFLW program, a pioneer of women's football, just had Melbourne's best and fairest named in her honour. Uh, so whoever wins Melbourne best and fairest from now on will um, win the Daisy Pearce medal, um, which is absolutely deserved. Um, one of the best special comments uh, commentators I've ever had the pleasure of working with, one of the best minds in footy, um, working with uh, Geelong in their AFL program at the moment and, uh, and set to be unveiled as West Coast and officially uh, on their Twitter and website as their new AFLW coach. So that's a big story. At uh, about 20 past, we'll speak to Eliza Riley, who broke the story for Code Sports, AFLW journo in the West. The other big story of the day, though, is the announcement Connor Rosie will be Port Adelaide's eighth captain. He has also signed an eight-year extension, meaning that he has the longest contract in the AFL alongside Aaron Norton now. And long-term contracts are an interesting point of conversation and varying views on long-term contracts come through thick and fast. Um, I'm querying, has there been a player yet who has signed a long-term big money contract. I don't know. We don't know the money that Connor Rosie's on. I mean, the Nick Blakey contract rumored to be around six fifty, somewhere around that was long-term, but it wasn't necessarily big money. Um, so for some, that was more palatable that you hadn't committed a ton of salary cap over a ton of time to just one player, but the big contracts with big money, the big term contracts with big money. I'm wondering, have any of them actually paid off yet for players who have stayed? So what this used to be was a way of bringing people to your club. And I'm starting to think that these might be one part salary cap management, spread the money around, move it here, move it there, be able to massage it and spread it out for over longer. Sometimes publicity stunts to say, hey, look at this player who's committed to us for the longest of times. They'll be 52 when they leave, but that doesn't matter. They're going to stay with us for the rest of their career, and that is a positive story to send out into the world. Um, but when it comes to keeping players, so when this first started, Jason Dunster was offered the 10 years at 200 grand a year, I think from the Brisbane Bears back in 1993. He said no, so Alistair Lynch took up that contract. And in the early days when he started to have some trouble with chronic, chronic fatigue, um, people questioned it, but it paid dividends. Three-time premiership player with the Brisbane Lions, four-time leading goal kicker, uh, as well, 
the next of those, of course, for the big long-term deal was the nine-year Buddy Franklin deal to get him away from Hawthorne. That was an, a win-win for everybody. Um, Gary Ablett to go up to the Gold Coast. In the end, he goes back to Geelong, but you know he won a Brownlow there. Um, he'd been a premier, two-time Premiership player and already a Brownlow medalist. Um, Alistair Lynch had been one of the best defenders in the competition and then uh, Fitzroy's leading goal kicker when he was offered that big deal. Um, Buddy Franklin was a two-time Premiership player, um, kicked 100 goals in a season, uh, multiple Coleman medalist uh, as well. So these people had big resumes on the table and to get them out of their club, you needed to give them something big. I'm just wondering, have any of the players that have been given the long-term deal, I mean, Brodie Grundy was a multiple All-Australian, but that deal worked out so well that he's now at his third club and that's not a crack at Brody Grundy. Um, players had to go to other clubs to make that deal happen. And then he ends up leave, having to leave Collingwood and then having to leave Melbourne. And so so much so that the AFL had put new rules in place around long-term contracts that you have to be uh, have it ticked off by president, CEO, but it has to be sent to the AFL and explaining why. Um, that story came out a, a couple of weeks ago. So the AFL is sort of concerned about these long-term deals on big money. Aaron Norton, signed till 2032. Um, has he been All-Australian yet? Aaron Norton, does he have the resume that would have dictated that kind of money and, and that kind of length? Sydney came pretty hard for him, so you've got to do whatever you can to keep him, or do you? Are you happy for your club to tie up that amount of time and that amount of money for a player who, yes, was fourth in their best and fairest in his first year and is a very, very good player? But is he at that Buddy Franklin, Gary Ablett, Alistair Lynch level for those long, long-term deals. And Lynchy was probably so far ahead of its time that maybe just compare it to Buddy and Gary. Is it worth that? And then is Connor Rosie, two-time All-Australian, Port Adelaide best and fairest, I'm fairly sure. But he's going to be their new captain. So that softens the blow for me a little bit because I, I love what Geelong used to do, making their captain their highest-paid player. You know, Kane is very anti these long-term deals. He's made that crystal clear over time. He put a, a meme up, um, something with Mark Zuckerberg having to towel off his forehead uh, in hospital when he read about Shohai Otani's mega deal with the Dodgers 10 years at 700 mil, uh, that he posted a meme about it. So it didn't quite work out for Brody Grundy, but is there a player whose resume has absolutely deserved the club throwing everything they can to keep that player and them signing? If you look at it from a purely football point of view with how many best and fairest, all Australians, and then the premiership that Clayton Oliver had, just from a football point of view, I don't want to get caught up in the, what's going on personally for him, but from a football point of view, that's probably one that you'd say had done enough to warrant that kind of investment as opposed to runs on the board rather than what he, what he had done rather than what he might do. Because a lot of these seem to be from what he might do, not what he has done. And again, I have... No criticism of player or manager for getting these deals. I say, well done. Bravo. Exceptional job for the player to get that kind of security and get that kind of deal. Exceptional job from that player's manager to get that deal done as well. Tip of the cap, round of applause, whatever you want to throw up. But should the clubs be that fearful of losing a player that you almost throw the baby out with the bathwater? Or are they throwing the baby out with the bathwater? one three hundred seven three six seven three six zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Has there been a player yet that has actually truly deserved that kind of investment? Jason Horn francis was already going to go to Port Adelaide, yet they still stumped up a long-term deal for him at, at a fair whack of money after just one season of football. And I reckon they would have got him anyway, uh, even if they didn't. 
Joe's in Roeville. who wants to talk long-term contracts. Joey, hello, mate. Hello. Hello, Joey. You're on the air. G'day, Sam. How are you? I'm good, mate. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, Buddy Franklin. I mean, you sort of mentioned him just a bit earlier on, but not only did he um, deserve his long-term contract, he actually put bums on the seat for the crowd turn. Yeah. Then his membership went through the roof. I can't see a player like Conor Rosie. Could you see him having that kind of uh, impact on Port Adelaide like the way Buddy did with Sydney? No, and that's what I'm saying. A lot of those those contracts were Sydney and Gold Coast were in different situations where they just had to have they had to have marquee signings and big name signings in non traditional states. Say we've got this guy, we've got a guy who's going to be a legend of the game. Buddy will be a legend. Gary Ablett Jr. will be a legend at some point. They absolutely are turnstile tickers, bums on seats players who deliver year in, year out at the highest level. They are all-time greats of the game. And this isn't a criticism. Dusty Martin got a seven-yearer, I think. Again, tick that off. That has been the one that, and I had that written down, and it's coming through on the text. He's been the one where you go, yep, we moved heaven and earth to get him. We had players take less to do so. And in order for him to stay, but they did reap the rewards of that. You cannot deny that that was smart business from Richmond. So, again, Dusty's going to be a legend in the Hall of Fame. So when clubs put those long-term deals at big money to a player, do they have to be someone who's destined to be a legend? Do you have to have done a certain amount before you get a contract like that? Are clubs overspending and overdoing it when it comes to these contracts just because of the danger that that club might leave them and go somewhere else? The fear of losing a player. Did that drive Collingwood to sign Brody for a longer term and at more money than they wanted to? And then look at how that turned out for them. The fear of losing him drove them to do something that now, obviously, they would regret. And it didn't quite work out. And I hope that he has a great run of it at Sydney because he's a very good human being and a very good player. This isn't a criticism of the players, but are the clubs making the right moves here? Because Dusty, legend status. Buddy, legend status. Gary Ablett Jr., legend status. No disrespect to Connor and Aaron and... But are these guys going to be legend status players deserving of that kind of investment? one 736 736 Shane's in Roeville. G'day, Shane. Shane, in, Shane, you're on air. Oh. Can I make you hear <laughs> me? I can. You sound disappointed Sorry. that you were on no, air. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I, I apologise. Thank you. Some issues in the car here. Now, look, I just wanted to bring up... Um, I understand, um, you know, to a certain extent, the players want the long-term deals. But sometimes I think with the, the, the frequency of the TV rights, mm. um, that sometimes, I mean, by the, by the time Alistair Lynch finished his, uh, his, uh, his contract, correct me if I'm wrong, he was almost getting underpaid. Um, and I'm not saying that's going to be the same with Aaron Norton or others, but I look at it, you know, one of my other players, Marcus Bond and Pally, where he, he could be getting whatever he wanted, let's be honest. Um, Absolutely. But he, 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 he's regularly going for three four-year contracts because I think he realises from a, a marketing point of view, getting the most that he can potentially, you know, in three years' time, you know, a, a million-dollar contract is actually way under what he deserves. So um, I think I think sometimes the players, whilst it might sound good to be in a, a long-term contract, that sometimes they might actually be getting unders. And there's no doubt the fear for me and my club, um, mm. being a Bulldog supporter, is, if, you know, I don't think we wanted to sign Aaron Norton on that long a deal. But when Sydney came to that, we needed to make a decision as to whether we keep him or not. And no doubt that if Sydney come with an offer with Eagle Hagen for a similar sort of amount, we just won't be able to do that. So the, no. the worry is is that uh, are some clubs going to be able to just pick holes? And now that Norton's 
on this big contract, does that mean that other players in my in, in my team are, are just going to go because we can't do that for others? And then it might be Sam Darcy. So I, I think that's an interesting thread that you, you decided to tug on there, Shane. Maybe these contracts need to go for as long as the TV rights deals go for because you know how much money is in the salary cap at that time and then you can renegotiate at the end of them. Appreciate the call, mate. Um, off the text, there's a few people that are saying that they are more than happy for Nick Dacos, who's now uh, an All-Australian, uh, NAB Rising star, Premiership player for him to have re-signed till the end of 2029. So people, Collingwood fans saying that's absolutely enough that he's done and shown to warrant that extension till the end of 2029. one 736 736 So we'll take Paul and Kobe before we take a break and come back with Eliza Riley. G'day, Paul. How you going there? Good. Um, just my opinion on um, playing. I just want to get yours too. Um, players that play into their late 30s, who might extend their contract but only play 10 games for the year. Do you feel that's fair? Just roll that past me again, Paul. I sort of lost you for a moment. Okay. Um, players who are in their late 30s or mid-30s who are very good players who are still mm-hmm. playing well, um, offering them new contracts with only like a minimum, they might end up, end up playing like 10 games for the year, but they're still great value. Would that, do you think that's still feasible? Look, I think if someone's still playing good footy, the age and the age they are only comes into play given the term of contract that you might want to sign them to. So for Scotty Pendlebury, who's in his mid-30s now, to sign for another year, he's still easily in their best 22. So no drama for me. Now, he, he might break down. But again, he he has done so much for that football club. Two-time premiership player now. He is in their conversation that for the rest of days about who is the greatest Collingwood player of all time. He's in that conversation. And for some, he is the number one of all time. So for someone like him, for sign him up for another year for as long as his body and his mind still say, yeah, I can still play. So I have no drama with that at all. You only get in trouble signing players in their mid-30s. And by the way, we're going to speak about LeBron James if we get a chance, who's still one of the best players in the competition just about to turn 40. Um, Tom Brady was still elite in his early 40s. So I think it's dependent on the player and dependent on the club's situation and where they're at with their list, Paul. So there's a few factors that I would um, be considering in that situation that you're talking about. Really appreciate the call. Got to take a break and come back. Eliza Riley is going to speak about the other big footy story of the day, the signing of Daisy Pierce by the West Coast Eagles to be their new AFLW coach. Afternoons on SEN. The other big footy story of the day, West Coast have confirmed that their new AFLW coach will be Daisy Pierce, uh, one of the best minds in footy, a pioneer of women's football, a massive signing for the football club. The story broken 10 days ago by Eliza Riley, who last week was awarded the Women's Football Media Award, third year in a row, and also the Jack Lee Best News Story Award. She's been good enough to jump on the line with us from the Western Australian, uh, sorry, formerly Western Australian, now with Code Sports. Eliza, hello to you. Uh, hello, Sam. Thank you for saving yourself there. Yeah, well and surely with Code Sports now. And um, what an unreal announcement for West Coast. She's exactly the person they need. How long has this been in the works for, Eliza? Just give us the background. How did this come to be? Daisy's down at Geelong as an AFL men's assistant commentating on Channel 7. How did this come to pass? Yeah, so the main factor in this is that Daisy Pierce and West Coast Head of Women's Football, Michelle Cowan, 
have a long-standing and fruitful relationship which dates back to the exhibition series um, back in the sort of 2016-2015 yeah. era, which obviously predated the AFLW. So that was essentially the Melbourne Demons versus the Western Bulldogs. It was a series of exhibition games. Michelle Cowan was the coach and Daisy Pearce was her captain. So that's the relationship that sort of brought this ambitious bid to fruition. Um, obviously, they had a lot of success together, winning four of the six exhibition games back during those days. But then, as you said, Daisy was sort of um, doing her thing at Geelong. Um, Geelong went very hard to get her once she did retire from the AFLW. But West Coast knew um, that due to the sort of failings they've had so far in that AFLW program, being the three coaches they've previously had, have all been internal appointments. They very much knew they needed a big fish and someone with a big reputation who could come and turn their program around after winning seven games in, what, five seasons. Um, and Daisy was their number one target. They started speaking to her, um, you know, sort of in the weeks after they did part ways with Michael Pryor late in the season. And obviously they've, um, you know, walked the walk and talked the talk. They've got their woman and she's going to be a fantastic addition to the West Coast Eagles. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, with all due respect, the West Coast, uh, who are one of the biggest and, and, and richest clubs in football, but from an AFLW point of view, Eliza, they've been largely irrelevant. This automatically gains you huge relevance because there's, there's you know, only Erin Phillips is as big a name in women's football uh, as Daisy Pearce. What can we expect under Daisy as a coach? What game style do we think she's going to bring? What will be the highlights of, of her as a coach, do we think? Yeah, she's the pillars. been the face of the AFLW, hasn't she, um, for so long, and now that's just going to progress even more. Now that she has um, stepped up as a head coach, which was probably a matter of when, um, not if, to be completely honest, knowing her resume and what she's been able to achieve but, you know, hearing her speak um, about half an hour ago when she was announced and sort of presented to the West Coast Footy Club and all the players at a press conference, she spoke a lot about um, what she sees the trends being in the AFLW, obviously being, you know, that sort of, I guess, first for contested footy, a lot of um, the games being played in close and tight, um, how you can sort of bring scoring and develop scoring. But I think what, based on what Daisy said, the focus is going to start, A, on the fundamentals of footy because um, West Coast skills have been a little bit um, left a bit to be desired over the past few years. So skills is going to be one thing and then sort of working on that middle of the ground and what they can do to, to win the ball forward and get scores on the board because the Eagles um, were the you know worst team offensively this year in the AFLW. So that's going to be a big area for improvement. But I think it's definitely going to see, you know, sort of elements um, from all her, you know, playing and coaching, um, first of all, at Melbourne and then what she's learnt at Geelong this year. I think we're going to see basically the best of both worlds all pulled together and brought to this young and exciting West Coast squad, which has the likes of Ella Roberts, Charlie Thomas, Bella Lewis, some really exciting girls coming through um, that pathway who she now gets to work with. So what do you think, I mean, the trade period happening um, at the moment and they they've, haven't made a lot of moves yet. They've brought in a Roxanne Rue uh, and a round two pick for Ashley uh, McCarthy, who went to the Dockers going the other way. So really it's a pretty 
young and, and raw list that she's got to work with, would you be expecting a lot of personnel changes between now and the start of the season? Or is Daisy taking a, a long-term view of this and, and, and trying to build a program around the young talent that they've got? I think it's probably going to be more of the latter, um, given the trade period for the AFLW dads wrap up this Thursday. And a lot of the trade moves um, that, you know, have we have seen have been months sort of in the making. So I think, you know, it would be sort of, despite how great David's appointment is, it would be a bit of a rash sell to try and get some players over the line very late sort of in the piece. Those decisions have mostly already been made. But looking at West Coast list, I mean, most of the puzzle pieces, to be honest, are already there. It's just going to be a matter of getting a good coach around them to support them and um, bring them, you know, up to the level they need to be, which we saw late in the season when Michael Pryor did depart. Um, the Eagles did compete with the likes of Adelaide, who were a preliminary finalist this year and got within a few goals of them in round 10. So we know when everything clicks, you know, the Eagles do have the ability to challenge some of these bigger teams. It's probably just going to be, adding a few more pieces to the puzzle. Um, but I think Daisy's probably the biggest piece, to be honest, putting a good coach around the list they already have and then trying to, in a year's time, revisit the trade period and add anything else they feel as they may need. But this is, Eliza, so big because this is exactly what we want the AFLW to be. And obviously there's a longer-term view of... And Daisy's been one that people have said is such a good footy brain um, and such a great communicator. She's always had a, a great way of answering the question, well, how are you going to go having tough conversations with, with men and players? And she said, well, I was a midwife, so I've had the toughest conversations with, <laughs> with people that you'll ever have uh, in your life, uh, especially when they haven't got the result they wanted in a pregnancy or a birth. And I thought it was a brilliant answer. Um, this is what the, the, the AFL absolutely wants, and that is the stars of the game coming through as players and then doing coaching apprenticeships and taking on head coaching well, she's not the first to do it. There's others that have, but she is by far the biggest name to have so far. So it is a landmark day for not only West Coast, but for the game itself. Absolutely. I mean, looking at the coaches currently, um, she's the third former player to take that step into coaching, obviously following in the footsteps of Lauren Arnell at Port Adelaide and Lisa Webb um, at her new Crosstown Rivals in Fremantle. Mm. So but there's probably no name bigger, as you said, than Daisy Pierce, And it was certainly just a predetermined conclusion almost that she would make this step into coaching. Um, and it was just going to be a matter of when. But it probably is, you know, interesting that she has chosen to continue that pathway of hers in the AFLW. Because many people have even pegged her as someone who could be the first female coach of an AFL men's side, um, yep. which is obviously still a possibility a bit further down the track. But she has done amazing things for the game. She's an incredible, incredible football brain, as we've seen, um, you know, so often in her commentary on Channel 7. And it's going to be um, that next challenge for her to assume the helm of her own side and see what she can do with it because she's got all the tools and all the experience um, under her previous clubs. Yeah, one of the best uh, I've had the pleasure of commentating games with, that's for sure, Eliza. Well done to you. You had the story 10 days ago. Um, it was all declared and made official and stamped today. So congratulations to you and uh, and to West Coast as well and to the AFLW. This is a, as big a story as we've had and uh, well done for being at the forefront of it and thanks for giving us the background to it. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Eliza Riley from Code Sports. We're a little bit late for the news. Apologies. Let's get to Amy Drew.
Afternoons on SEN. Uh, you know what? It was actually really boring. Um, to be, dead, to be dead, to dead serious with you, it was actually probably one of the hardest two weeks um, of my life. I went through a few things and, you know, off court I, I had some issues and, and honestly training was hard. I had to take a day off. I was in a position where, you know, sometimes the bright lights and everything you see on court isn't always what it seems off court. And yeah, like that's the kind of perception is I go out and, you know, run around like an idiot 24-7 jumping out of planes. But at the end of the day, we're real people with real issues. And I'm coming out here trying to compete and do the best for my team, this franchise, the game of basketball, the NBL, trying to represent everyone the right way so the next generation can understand that it's okay to speak up and say that you're struggling a little bit. My teammates picked me up, you know, all the guys stepped up. Um, and to come out and put on a good performance tonight was actually probably one of the most proud moments I've been of myself for a long time. And, and for me, a little bit of self-love is, is something I need right now. Uh, that was Mitch Creek um, speaking um, at the game back from uh, the international break uh, of NBL for the South East Melbourne Phoenix, openly, honestly and vulnerably discussing that he was in a really dark place and having a really hard time of it and unprompted just opened up about that and about the difficulties he'd faced, about the support that he got, about the help that he needed um, and how proud he was of himself. And I reckon that the sporting world is bloody proud of him too because we are trying to push the message, especially for men, that if you are having those feelings and you are experiencing that, it doesn't matter who you are and who you might think that someone is, that people go through hard times, difficult times, and to be able to put your hand up and say that's what's happening for you, to ask for support, to put yourself out there in that manner, to get the support and to get the help you need. Um, that is a message that is very, very important in today's society. For, so for him to step up to say that without being asked, nobody knew, he just wanted to get that message out there. I thought that that was absolutely a hero nomination uh, from the week last week. And the man himself has been good enough to jump on the line. Mitch, hello, mate. Sam, how you go, mate? Mate, well done for that. Um, what was it, can I ask you, that had you thinking, I'd really just like to share what my experience has been. What prompted you to be so open, so honest and vulnerable during that game? Um, look, to be honest, I think it was a bit of a spur of the moment. I never really plan on saying too much. It normally just comes out as a bit of a word vomit. Uh, <laughs> as you can tell, I kind of lost my voice a little bit after the game last night in Sydney. But um, yeah, mate, look, it was a it was a tough couple of weeks for me, and um, it's not to take away from anyone who goes through anything. Um, we can all share the same, you know, seemingly the same experience, but it affects us all very differently. And mm. for me, what I was going through was very tough for me. And um, you know, training was it was hard. As I said, it was hard to get up and to go about my days and focus and go about my business the right way. But um, you know, I, I was aware enough to to speak to the club and you know my coach and you know, everybody that I needed to, to say, hey, look, I, I need a day and I need some time because, you know, I'm not in a great place and I just need a little bit of help here and there. Um, I feel like a lot of people kind of mask it and shadow it about and, and don't really speak up about what's going on. And we feel like saying less is is sometimes, you know, a better action. But realistically, it's brave to speak up. It, it goes a long way, you know, for anyone out there that is going through hard times, sometimes, all you need is someone to listen. Um, it can be a stranger, it can be anyone, but sometimes it can be a friend or family. And, and just asking how they're going, if they seem a little bit off, or you're starting to notice a few things, is a really important message to, to be able to pick up on. But, yeah, look, I, I was going through it, and um, I actually felt a little overwhelmed after the game. I felt like I was being pulled in a lot of directions right after the game had finished. And I actually just said, you know, look, I'm not exactly feeling phenomenal when I tried to you know, blow me up and say how crazy I am sometimes off court and this persona that sometimes people give off of me. But, 
you know, I, I just wanted to be real and authentic in that moment and, and share how I was really feeling because I feel like there's a lot of times where myself and other athletes and humans across the world don't really say what they're really feeling because they just want to give the same generic answer and move past it and, and go to the next thing. Oh, and I'm so glad you did. And I thank you for doing that. And it's, it's often, especially with men, because we think, oh, there's always someone worse. So what right do I have to feel like that? I'll just bottle it all up and, and shut up. And people might go, well, what's he got to be worried about? He's playing elite sport. But the thing is, mental health and depression, whatever you want to call it, anxiety, it doesn't discriminate. It doesn't know that you're playing NBL at the highest level and have played. It doesn't know any of those things. Um, it doesn't discriminate. Uh, and so I just wanted to thank you and tell you that while you were proud of yourself, we were proud of you um, as well, mate. So thank you for, for doing that. The more men we get doing that, the more people we get doing that, the better we will go in getting those statistics and getting those numbers down that we all dread reading. Um, mate, the um, the win, um, you, you bounced back in an incredible way from a, a basketball performance point of view. Um, 33 in the win yesterday over Sydney. You're under man. Mike Kelly, uh, the coach, you go up there undermanned uh, against the reigning champs and you get yourself up into third on the ladder. It, was, it seemed like a, a pivotal win in the season. Yeah, it definitely was, mate. We, uh, we knew, you know, with the, the hard decision to, to move, move forward with, with getting rid of, you know, Will Cummings, who is phenomenal for us. Um, Ruben Tarangi, you know, a proud dad now with his beautiful partner. Um, so welcoming their little one into the world now. And then mm. Craig Moller, who's obviously had the knee injury we we never want to see anything like that but for us we, we were going there with you know a shortened roster but also one that was very capable of being a very dangerous team and we knew that um i think everyone knew that and it was about kind of stepping up and playing the right brand of basketball and to go into sydney as you said and to get that win is me- is just mega because there's, there's so many times you get on the road and you know travel schedule nothing goes your way whatever it might be and then you come out and you win a game like that, that can be a real pivotal moment in any player's career in a season. It can be uh, a very good um, circumstance for an organisation as well that says, hey, this is our the line in the sand. You know, This is us saying we're not going to accept certain actions on and off the court and we're going to you know, stand tall no matter how tough or difficult a situation that might be. And then when the guys respond in that kind of fashion, um, you know, we're up nearly 20 points against Sydney as the game closed and we kind of, you know, had a few turnovers at the end, but yeah, just immensely proud of, of the rest of the team. And um, I guess, you know, as you said before, you know, I was pretty proud of, you know, the ability to stand up in those times and make big plays and to kind of put the team on your shoulders at moments and say, all right, boys, get on, let's do this and, and let's go and get a big win. And, and that's exactly what we did. What was Mike's message after it? You've said that it felt pretty pivotal um, in the context of the season. Was that how Mike viewed it? Yeah, definitely. It was it was a great message from Mike. Um, I won't go into it too much, but it was certainly one that he expressed his, um, you know, his elation and how proud he was of the group. Uh, I think we all just kind of reiterated it and knew that this was a big moment for us all. And um, I guess a lot of people have kind of written us off and said, oh, you know, we're inconsistent, we're this and we're that, but we're just, you know, we're another team, we're another group of men that are playing the game we love and all doing it together, trying to get the same thing of getting wins and as much success for the club, you know, in all aspects of the business and organisation as possible. And yeah, this was a big step for us. And as you said, mate, this is one of those things where words don't always have to be said. It's just kind of looking around at everyone nodding your head and saying, you know what, boys, you guys can do this. And that's amazing. And we got a throwdown. 
Thursday, Melbourne United, one of the biggest schedules of an NBL season is throwdowns and the ledger, obviously in their favour at the moment, but you meet each other um, in form, 1v3, them on top, you guys in third. Uh, It's just shaping up beautifully for another chapter to be written in one of the best rivalries in basketball. Yeah, it, it certainly is. We know any time we play Melbourne, it's going to be a big one. Uh, we know it's going to be another sellout. We know there's going to be a lot of uh, excitement and hype around the game. A little but, feisty you know, at times we, too. We, we we get a little bit bitter. We don't want to lose those ones, especially against them. And, um, you know, they got our number the last couple of times. And we need to go out and we need to kind of hit first. And we need to punch them in the mouth and, and make them take a backward step. And I think if we play the brand of basketball, offensively and especially defensively like we did the last two games we're going to put ourselves in an amazing position but it's about playing one possession at a time one rebound at a time and not looking too far ahead because as soon as you do that mate these teams start to get a whole bunch of momentum we saw that last night Sydney started to, to come back right at the end so just one at a time mate and um, it's just like any other game we just got to focus on that. Well, mate, the league is going from strength to strength. The record number of eyeballs, record number of bums on seats. It just continues to put itself right up at the pointy end of elite sport uh, in Australia. It's a credit to everyone that's involved, obviously Larry and everyone on down. Uh, Jeremy, and um, you have played a big part in that too as one of the best players in the competition. So keep it up. Uh, We're loving it and good luck on Thursday night. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate your support. And as I said before, to anyone that is, you know, feeling like you're in a bit of a tough spot, um, don't be afraid to, to speak up, to voice your anxiousness, your frustrations, your unknowingness, whatever it might be, however you're feeling. It's okay. It's very normal. And no matter who you are, we all go through certain battles. And it doesn't mean yours isn't less important than the next person's because that situation might seem a little bit different or more important to yours. You are important and you do matter. And um, for a lot of people in this world, you matter. So, um, having that conversation and having you around a lot longer is, is a very important thing for all. It's a great message. You're setting a great example. You are walking the walk and talking the talk, Mitch, and it's fantastic that you are. Thank you, mate. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it, mate. Have a good one. And look after yourself as well. Uh, Mitch Creek, um, 13 11 14 uh, is the lifeline number if you are experiencing Uh, difficulties in any way, shape or form. They are there for you. So too are Beyond Blue. And well done to Mitch Creek. More of that. Uh, We'll wrap up uh, afternoons after this on SEN. G'day, guys. It's Connor Rosa here. Uh, Super excited to to lead the team out next year and to wear the number one Guernsey. So... Um, the boys are all real excited to, to get to round one and to play play at home as well as an added bonus. So uh, jump on board and we'll see you there. New skipper of the Port Adelaide Footy Club, eight-year contract extension. Connor Rosie, one of the big stories of the day. Uh, if you missed anything on the show, it's all there on the podcast. Barat Sunder Race and Ewan Porter, Eliza Riley, Mitch Creek as well. Happy birthday to Harris Andrews, Liam Duggan, 27 today for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals are celebrating lives. That's the show today. Uh, we've been driven by the Werribee Kia team uh, down at Werribee Kia who look after you just like family. Visit the dealership Werribee Kia. You'll find the incredible EV6 GT model. Fantastic finance options available. If you're looking for a trade-in, they offer top dollar, have 300 plus late model used cars in stock. Werribee Kia, go and see the team on Old Geelong Road, Hoppers Crossing. You'll be sure to check out the EV6 GT model right now. WerribeeKia.com.au LMCT114. 
One of my favourite texts of the day, long-term contracts, 492. Celine Dion deserved her long-term Vegas contract. I like that. That's some sharp stuff. Some hero nominations for Alyssa Healy, becoming the Australian cricket captain, have come through as well. Thanks for all your calls on the Ruby Kia open line, all your 40 winks, temper texts, uh, and for just generally uh, listening and being a part of the show today. I greatly appreciate it for all your kind messages too about the engagement. That's very much appreciated. You're very good people. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. A big thanks to Link. Big thanks to Rod for looking after me today. Andy and Gazy for your run home are up next. See you next Monday.